Amen. Thank you, Andrew. Um, thank you so much for the opportunity to have me be here today, to welcome me here, and for your hospitality. Uh, as Andrew said, I'm here with my family, my wife Sarah, my daughter Ava, and my son Luke right there. And as you heard, you may not have known this before today, but we're related. So I'm hoping that I'm more like the cool cousin and not like the awkward uncle as you get to know me a little bit. But we're related at least, at least church-wise through a, a, a mission and a, a common vision of, of church planting, seeing more and more people come to know Jesus. It's hard to believe that as I think back uh, 10 years ago this month, 10 years ago this month, July 2007, our family, my family, we bought a home in Columbia Heights, Minnesota, just six blocks north of the, the northeast Minneapolis line. So the line is 37th Avenue. We're just north of that, and we've been there for 10 years. And we moved here from the Alexandria area, Glenwood, Minnesota, if you know where that is. It's about halfway between here and Fargo, if you go up that way, up Interstate 94. We moved here to the Twin Cities to be part of starting a new church 10 years ago. And 10 years ago, Antioch Community Church that was, it was just a dream that was beginning to take shape. A handful of people dreamt of a church in the, the city, in the Minneapolis area, that would be part of reaching the next generation, that would be part of reaching people, all kinds of people with the gospel, the good news of Jesus, raising up leaders, helping to start new churches. And we wanted a place where people could be drawn into community, a different type of, of, of community, a family, as, as Pastor Andrew was sharing, growing in the gospel, and then learning to live every day on mission with Jesus in every part of life, no matter what we're doing. In October of 2008, we launched worship services at a place called the Ukrainian Event Center, which was this big ballroom in northeast Minneapolis, tool and vines from, from the ceiling. There was actually a, a giant disco ball in the middle of the room. Uh, we didn't ever use that during the services, but it was there. Uh, so we, had been, we have been there since 2008, the fall of 2008. When we were five years old as a church, as Andrew mentioned, we were blessed to be able to have a, a part in sending out City Vision, which then merged with Park Free, and now uh, you know it as Park Community Church here. But also, as Andrew mentioned, we're entering into a, a new season for us as a church, and moving into a different facility, saying goodbye to the tool from the ceiling, and moving into a, a building that was up on the screen, the Waterbury Building, and our, our hope and our prayer is that this new space that we're leasing and moving into hopefully later this fall would be, uh, would be a place that, that's used as a tool for, for the gospel to go forth. We want to put down roots deeper in northeast Minneapolis and then reach beyond that. That's why we're calling this this movement, this initiative, Northeast and beyond. But back up 10 years ago again, back in 2007, our future church plant that we were starting, it didn't even have a name. It didn't even have a name. And as we were wrestling through that, through, through the beginning stages of this new work and what, even, uh, and what we would be called, I found myself returning over, over and over again to the book of Acts to Acts chapter 13, to Acts chapter 11, and the story of this ancient church in this ancient city called Antioch. And you guys have been going through the book of Acts here. You've been seeing part of, of what, what goes on there in the great book that it is and the great story that it is. In the book of Acts, 
Luke, the author, he gives this historical account of the growth and the spread of the gospel in the early church. How did this happen? What were the first 30 or so years like in the birth of, of, of Christianity? It's a story about mission. And as you know, as you've been going through the book of Acts, you, you saw how the gospel in Acts chapter 2 exploded in Jerusalem. And thousands of people came to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The church grows, the, the church as, as a family. People are coming to know Jesus, the one who had been crucified but was risen from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father. But eventually, that church gets pushed out of Jerusalem through persecution. God kicks them out and forces them to spread and go beyond the, the borders of where they were in the city. And in Acts chapter 11, 19 through 30, we see this young church that's living out Jesus' mission that he described back at the very beginning of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus describes these concentric circles of how the gospel is going to go forth. And God uses persecution in his wisdom to spread the church further out to all nations, toward those all peoples. And we see some of that here in Acts chapter 11. Let me read this. Chapter 11, verses 19 through 30. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, that's Greek-speaking non-Jewish people, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now, as we as we wrestled with what, what is our, what's, what's our church going to be about, what's our church even going to be called, kept coming back to passages like this and seeing this story of the church in Antioch, a church that was reaching all types of people, people that were different from them, not just people like them, other Jewish people, but Gentiles, non-Jews, all types of people, a diverse group of people with the gospel. Seeing this, uh, this harvest, this people coming to know Jesus, by the droves, and so much so that they have to send to another partner church for help. The church in Jerusalem sends this guy named Barnabas to help with all these people that are coming to know Jesus. So they're training them, they're establishing them in the gospel, and it's going so well that Barnabas has to go get a buddy of his named Saul, 
who will later be called Paul, the Apostle Paul. You see a lot about him in the book of Acts from here on out. He goes and gets Saul, and together they teach as a team these new believers, this new young church for a year. The gospel is growing. They're, they're generous. They're sending uh, financial gifts to help with those who are in need, those who are in poverty in Jerusalem, in the church there. And all kinds of good things, gospel fruit is happening in Antioch. People coming to know Christ, leaders being trained, generosity, expansion, sharing the gospel with all different types of people. And we re- I reflected on this and thought, man, that's, that's, those are the kind of things that we want to be about. Not to reproduce first century culture today in some sort of a weird way, but to look at these principles, to look at these things that are happening and say, man, we want, we want to be about those same things today. We talk about at Antioch in northeast Minneapolis about igniting a movement of the gospel throughout the Twin Cities and beyond. That's what we want to be about. Now, as you continue in the book of Acts into chapter 12, there's a story about Peter here, another account of the death of, of, of Herod, and then Luke gets back to the, the church in Antioch in chapter 13, picks it up again in chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, this story of this ancient church at Antioch. Listen to what he says. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene. Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them out. So the rest of chapters 13 and 14, we're only going to focus on these first three verses of chapter 13, by the way. But if you would keep reading you would see what is often referred to as the the first missionary journey of of the Apostle Paul. The rest of chapters 13 and 14 detail uh, this this journey, this uh, traveling throughout the Mediterranean region to different cities and starting churches. But zeroing in on chapter 13, 1 through 3, that's that's the, the, the catalyst for all of that journey. That's the starting point. Notice the repetition here of the word sent. Look at verse 3. It says, they sent them off. Sent off Barnabas and Saul. And then verse 4, which I didn't read, it says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. This idea of sent, this idea of sending. Did you know this was the first instance in the book of Acts of a church intentionally sending people out to start new churches? Sure, they were sent out from Jerusalem, but they were kicked out by God through persecution and forced to go outside of their boundaries, outside of their walls, their borders. This is the first instance of a church that Luke, the author of Acts, holds up that here's a church that's not a perfect church by any means, there isn't one, but a church that's getting it, that's understanding Jesus' vision in Acts 1-8 of reaching the ends of the earth and is intentionally sending people out to do that. This young church in the ancient city of Antioch was ascending church, ascending church. So the question I want to ask today and look at in these three verses is, what does that look like? What does it look like to be ascending church? What are some marks of ascending church? I think there's, there's four of them here that I want to highlight in these three verses. In, in America, if we look at our culture, 
success in, at least in the church world or in the ministry world, it's not always associated or measured by sending. It's measured a lot by accumulating. In a lot of ways, it's, it's just the American way. If something is good, you make it bigger. You make it better. You franchise it. You make it a bigger box, right? But if, if you look in the book of Acts, success, as Luke holds it up, it's, it's success equals sending. Sending out, multiplying, expanding. Not creating an empire, but evangelizing those that don't know Jesus. Four marks of ascending church here. Let's look at the first one. What do we see here in Antioch? A team of leaders united by the gospel. What did this leadership team look like in this first century congregation? Luke gives us quite a bit of information about these five characters that he lists. A few of the prophets and teachers, he calls them, at Antioch are listed. Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Menaean, and Saul. Now, Barnabas, his real name is Joseph. He was a, a Levite, a Jewish man from Cyprus, island of Cyprus, and he was nicknamed Barnabas. Barnabas was his nickname. It means son of encouragement. We're told that back in Acts uh, chapter 4, verse 36. So Barnabas is there as part of this leadership team. Simeon, who is also called Niger. Now, Niger is Latin for, for dark or black. He could have been from North Africa. We don't know for sure. Lucius of Cyrene from a different geographic area. We don't honestly know a lot about him. Then there's Menaean. Luke lists Menaean as part of this leadership team. And says he was a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch. So he had some sort of a background from this higher social class, political connections through uh, Herod. And then there's Saul, a Jewish man, a former Pharisee, author later of what would become the books, many of the books in the New Testament, the letters that we have. Raised in Tarsus, he's a Roman citizen, and he has this dramatic conversion experience back in Acts chapter 9 where he goes from being a murderer of Christians to a Christian missionary. Imagine that. His life totally gets turned upside down by God, and he becomes one of the, one of the greatest missionaries we've ever known. He's part of this leadership team. What a diverse team this is of leaders. Difference, different ethnicity, geographic origin, giftedness, social class. Don't miss this. Do you realize that apart from the gospel, these guys aren't spending time together. These, these, these guys are not uh, getting to know each other as friends, apart from the gospel. Jewish people and non-Jewish people did not like each other. In fact, often hated each other. And you put that together with the, the differences for, for geographic range, ethnicity. These guys are not hanging out together, let alone being fellow leaders on a team together. But Jesus had united them in mission. Jesus had united them in a family with a bond that was centered in faith in Jesus Christ. We see a group of people here in Acts 13 that are united by the gospel, and each of their lives had been forever changed by an encounter with Jesus Christ. That's what happens when you encounter Jesus Christ, when you follow Jesus, turning from your sin, following him in faith, repentance and faith. Your life gets turned upside down. Your life gets forever changed for the better as you walk with Jesus. Let's keep going. The second mark of ascending church, you've got this unified 
leadership team. But then the second mark, there's an atmosphere of worshipful and prayerful dependence upon God. The term worship, it's, it's often misunderstood. We use it sometimes just to refer to music, what we did just before this, singing, a time of, a time of worship, a time of music, of praise, which isn't necessarily a wrong use of it. It's just a fraction of what uh, the, the broader idea of worship is getting at as you look at the Bible. Worship involves offering every area of our lives in, in sacrifice and service to God. So your work that you do throughout the week can be an act of worship. The way that you are a husband or a wife can be an act of worship. The type of neighbor you are can be an act of worship. And yes, we also can sing here on Sunday morning and worship God. Everything, anything that we do that's offered to, in service to God to glorify and to, to lift him up, that's worship. But listen to how Psalm 147, for instance, verses 7 through 11, how it connects this idea of worship and and dependence upon God. The psalmist writes, Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to God, to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. So the psalmist connects this idea of worshiping God with dependence upon God. We're to trust in God and not in our own strength. So part of worshiping God, it's acknowledging our deep need for God in every area of life. To put it another way, when we think about the, the, the ministry as, as a church, the mission that God has given us as, as his, his church, as his people, Jesus hates when his church tries to do things in its own strength. Because it's not worshipful, it's not honoring God when we say, you know what, God, I, I'll, I'll get this one, I got this one. Rather than depending upon him, this prayerful dependence and surrender. Talking about the importance of of, of, of abiding and remaining in him. Jesus, Jesus says, I love it, in John 15, 5, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do, not, do nothing. You can think about that individually, and you can think about that as a church. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. One of the evidences, then, that we're depending upon God is what we see here in Acts 13. This practice of prayer in our lives, this dependence upon God. Prayer is like the barometer in our lives or in the life of our church that that is showing our dependence upon God, a a direct correspondence. Are we we prayerful? Are we crying out to God, depending upon him? So it's significant that as we turn to Acts 13, in this ancient church of Antioch, God's direction for future mission, future endeavors, and future opportunities, that direction was given in response to this culture of worship, prayer, and dependence. How did they, what was the environment like? What was it like in this church when they heard from the Holy Spirit about sending out two of their best people for the mission? They were waiting, they were depending, they were worshiping. And it's in that prayerful environment of even fasting, seeking God, 
that, that the Holy Spirit powerfully speaks and says, this is the next step. This is the next step for you in this church of Antioch. It does the same thing today. Whether it's Antioch in Northeast Minneapolis, whether it's Park Community Church, it's this environment of worship and prayerfulness that God shows up in powerful ways. Let's keep going. The third mark of ascending church, it's similar to the second one, an attitude of listening and obeying the Holy Spirit. So it's in this season of waiting, of listening, that the Holy Spirit gives specific direction to Antioch's leaders. This is a good check for us because all around us, we find ourselves in a culture that is anti-waiting, right? A culture that is much more, much more in line with instant gratification than delayed gratification. Anti-waiting. Take, for example, how, think, how frustrated would you be if you pulled out your smartphone and tried to, to text a picture to someone and you see that blue line taking forever, right, to send it? Think about that. You're frustrated. You have the ability to send a picture through space to another person and they can view it, right? I mean, how amazing is that? But we get frustrated when we can't get connected to Wi-Fi, when something, it takes too long to, at a traffic light. Like, we live in a culture of I want it now, and I want it, not now, I want it yesterday. I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait. Well, it's actually in the waiting, not only that the Holy Spirit speaks, but that God works and transforms us, right, in the waiting. So in the waiting, here in Acts 13, the Holy Spirit speaks and the Holy Spirit sends. In my living room at home, I, 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 we, have a, we have a candle, uh, a woodwick candle, because I, I like the candles that simulate a crackling fire. My wife thinks it's weird, but uh, it's a woodwick candle in, in our living room. And if I put the lid on the jar when that candle is burning, what's, what's going to happen? It robs the flame of oxygen. It causes the flame to be snuffed out, right? Well, one of the, the biggest images of the, of the Holy Spirit in the scripture is fire. Instead of destruction, the fire of God's spirit, it purifies, it brings new life. This fire of the Holy Spirit, it's beautiful, it's unpredictable, it's awesome. The Holy Spirit's a fire that spreads the mission of God to renew all of creation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But through many different ways, I do this, you do this, we do this, we snuff out that holy fire. We neglect the Holy Spirit. We fail to depend upon the Spirit. We refuse to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Our ears, you could say, become deaf to the Holy Spirit, to the voice of the Spirit. And we try to live on mission without this dynamic fire that is meant to fuel the mission. I mean, one of the main messages of the book of Acts is it's going to take the Holy Spirit, right? It took the Holy Spirit's power to spread this message of Jesus Christ. It was through the Holy Spirit. In a lot of ways, it's the acts of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the main themes. We need to recover this regular practice of, of listening to the Spirit, obeying the Spirit's voice. I wonder, and I, I wonder how many of our thoughts, how many of our impressions, how many of our urgings, promptings throughout the day are not just random. They might just be the leading of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought about that? Thoughts that randomly come in your mind, 
Yes, it could be uh, bad pizza you had for lunch. Yes, it could be some uh, sinful thought that you need to take captive. But that's why we have the Spirit and the Word of God that are given to us to, to work together. So Scripture helps us discern if the impression, the thought, the, the voice that we are, are hearing, the prompting that we're given is in line with God's word. But how many of the promptings throughout the day is actually the spirit urging us and leading us? And we just aren't listening. We just aren't in tune or sensitive to that leading. And I'll be the first to admit there, there's many times that I, I, I don't even know that there is a voice. And, and I'm, I'm not sensitive to that, but the Holy Spirit wants us to listen and then not just listen, but obey. This church in Antioch, they hear the Spirit, the Spirit speaks, he, he gives direction, and then they actually do it, which was a huge step of faith that they took, sending out two of their best guys. This past fall uh, and winter, our elder team at Antioch in Northeast, we took time to listen to God's voice as we were really discerning next steps regarding a space, a facility, the, pl- the space that we're in was, uh, I mean, kids were like coming out the windows. So we, had, we, we, we knew we, had, we have to do something. You know, we have to move out of this uh, Ukrainian center. And we needed to take time to hear God clearly. And, it, and if, if I'm honest with you, I, 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 was, I was frustrated. I was anxious. I was wanting that to go more quickly. I'd been thinking about this for two years and had, had run too far ahead of our other, our other leaders, wanting to move forward, but this listening to the Spirit together with other like-minded believers in Jesus Christ for direction, especially leaders, it, it's not something you can rush. It's not something you can rush. And it's in that waiting, it's in that listening that the Holy Spirit speaks and then um, urges us to respond in obedience. Let's look at the fourth mark and the last one of ascending church. A willingness to release people into new opportunities for mission. When the Holy Spirit made his calling upon Barnabas and Saul clear, the Antioch leadership team, they willingly sent them off. They willingly sent them off. They gave their best. They gave their best. Because of this shared vision and this culture of multiplication that they had, of wanting to see more and more people come to know Jesus Christ. A major part of our vision at Antioch is, is to, to help start churches, to help plant churches. And I know that's par- part of your vision here, too, at Park Community, which I think is awesome. Helping to start new churches, it means that you need a lot of leaders. It means that you need to aggressively identify, train, send out godly men and women that can not only lead those churches, but be part of the teams that are going with those uh, churches that are starting. Our goal is to, we want to deploy an army, an army of leaders to reach people with the gospel. But let me share, I'll share with you some things that I've learned about this. Raising leaders, raising up leaders, developing leaders that you have invested time in, that you have invested energy in, that you have invested relationship in, it is hard. It is really hard. Our first six years as a church, we multiplied 
or sent out new groups from our community group, our small group, we sent out four of them in six years. And that was difficult because you just are go, getting to go deep with somebody and then you're sending them out for the purpose of starting a new group with people that aren't in a group. Sending out City Vision, January 2014. I look at Andrew and Brittany and Seth and, and others that, that, I, that, I, that I know here and recognize, and it's difficult to, have, to invest in people and then to, to, to commission them and see them go for the sake of the mission. And to, to be honest, we, we underestimated as a church that was 125 people the relational toll that that takes where you, you had these 10 kids in the nursery and then the next week they're gone and they're not there. And you can pour into someone and then send them out and, and it's like, good luck. Uh, we have a, a, another a church planning resident right now that is moving to the state of Maine in September, David, David Morse and his wife Jamie and their two sons. And that's going to be difficult. As that day approaches, he, they've been with us for two years, and, and we're helping to, to send them out. They want to start a church in Portland, Maine. But here's the thing about sending. The reward of sending is worth the cost. The reward of sending is worth the cost over and over and over and over again every time. Think about it this way. And to not take too much credit for it, I'm not trying to do that, but if we, if we weren't obedient to send out City Vision Church in 2014, Park Community Church may not exist as it does today in 2017. That's just a reality. And sure, God might have used another way, another means to do that, but part of what's tied into the story of this here today is, is our obedience to say, oh, man, I would love to have Andrew around. Maybe I could hire Andrew. Maybe he could stay at Antioch. Wouldn't that be awesome? But to say, you know what? There's people in St. Louis Park that need to know Jesus Christ. And we want you to go. Because success is about sending. Success is about sending. And at Antioch, we strive, we strive to hold those seemingly incompatible values together. Deep relationships, deep community and family and gospel multiplication because we want more people in the family, right? We want more people to know Jesus Christ as Lord, as Savior. As the church grows, we should hold our best people with, with an open hand, not a closed hand, an open hand. Let me, let me wrap up here with a couple questions for us to consider. Number one, what's your next step of obedience as a follower of Jesus who is sent on mission? Maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're just kind of kicking the tires of Christianity, checking out this Jesus thing, and uh, that's great. I'm glad you're here. I know that Andrew and others are glad you're here as well. Maybe your next step is to say, you know what, I want to follow Jesus Christ, the one who was sent on a rescue mission for me, and follow him as Lord, as Savior, and join in with him in his mission with his people that are sent to see others follow him. Maybe that's your next step. 
It's just simply to, to believe in Jesus Christ and say, I don't want to run anymore. I want to follow Jesus. But maybe, it's, maybe you, you've known Jesus for quite some time as in a personal way, and your next step of obedience is to view yourself as someone who is sent in your neighborhood, in, in your workplace, in uh, your school, wherever it might be. Viewing yourself as someone who's sent on mission in the different spheres of influence that you have in your life. Second question, how can you contribute to Park Community's mission as a sending church? How can you contribute to Park Community's mission? If you want to be, uh, become more involved in what God's doing here, what, what does that mean? What's the next step? Maybe that means uh, coming to this, this, this lunch in a few weeks, getting to know more about Park. Maybe it's getting involved in a, in a group that meets during the week. Maybe it's a membership class. Maybe it's leadership. Maybe it's serving somewhere. Maybe, maybe it's, it's giving financially. Or maybe, maybe it's just, it's even being sent out eventually to a new work. Maybe you're one of those Barnabas and Saul types that will go. What's your next step individually? What's your, ne- what's your contribution to being a sending church here at Park Community? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this story we see in the book of Acts of the church at Antioch. And Lord, we, we know that even in the book of Acts, there's no perfect church. It's, it's messy. Lord, people's lives being changed, the gospel, it, it, it's messy and it's beautiful all at the same time. But Lord, I pray that as we see uh, some of these, these, these truths, these principles of what it means to be about sending, Lord, that you would make those part of a culture of our lives. Lord, that we would view ourselves as people that, as followers of Jesus, that are joining you in your mission, God, and, and that we are sent, that we would live as sent ones, that we would see ourselves not isolated, but part of your church, your church that is sent. And Lord, that you would use us as, as part of this sending church, Jesus, that you are building. Wherever we're at today, Lord, uh, would you move us one step closer to you and in line with, with what you are about in your heart. We pray this in your name. Amen.